we don't see points on a map. They aren't just places to us. We see stories of lives living without the hope found in Jesus. Today, somewhere between the Great Commission and the Great Multitude, we find ourselves facing the world's greatest problem, lostness. Even in the midst of natural disasters, humanitarian crises, and political instability, Southern Baptists send IMB missionaries to give their lives to the lost, living amongst those who have never heard the gospel. People in hard to reach places, people in cities, and those who are dispersed and displaced around the world. At the IMB, we believe that missionary presence cultivates gospel access. Gospel access that knows no geographic or social boundary. We believe that missionary presence fuels gospel belief, and we see the results. We see lives transformed, generations forever changed, and churches planted. Local expressions of the church that take ownership and thrive. God has made our purpose clear. Together, we seek to take the gospel to every nation, to all tribes, to all peoples, to all languages. We don't see places on a map. We see our place in fulfilling the Great Commission. This is our mission. This is your mission. And we are reaching the nations together. All right. <clears throat> Man, uh, we show you that video. Uh, the International Mission Board is the sending uh arm of the missionary arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, for us, uh, most Southern Baptists about now are cranking up their uh, Lottie Moon, East, or excuse me, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And we are not doing that, but only because we want to remind you about our Give to Go missions offering. Um, the money that you give toward that goes to support um, the missionary partnerships that we have as a church, but also Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon and all the other things, Myers Mallory, all the things um, that our partnership with Southern Baptists mean as well. And so we use this as an opportunity to remind you uh, about those Give to Go gifts. If you haven't done that, you can get a form at the next steps table. Uh, if you haven't given toward that or if you would like to make a pledge, you can do that. But we want to do that to continually keep that in front uh, of you uh, so that you can continue uh, to give toward the missions that our church uh, is a part of. And so the IMB is an important part of that. It's who I went with uh, just recently to Eastern Europe. And uh, man, what an incredible work uh, that they're doing abroad in context that, man, we wouldn't, couldn't even imagine uh, that they are doing an incredible work. So we are part of that through that Give to Go missions offering. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We are in week three of our Circles series, talking about the intentional circles that we have in our life, the circles of community that we are called by God to surround ourselves with to make a difference and to be optimally effective for the kingdom of God. We have <coughs> tracked this diagram here, <coughs> right? We've got ourselves, 
that we need to be who we need to be. We need to be grounded in our faith. But God has called us to our most immediate circle, that is our families, right? The, the idea of leaving father and mother and cleaving to your wife, right? Being a part of a family unit and then being removed and being a part of an entirely different family unit. Uh, the family is an important circle that God has called us to be intentional with as we disciple the world. As we reach the world, God has called us to reach our families as well. Secondly, uh, we are called to our friends. We talked about last week that God has called us to develop meaningful relationships. This is not, this circle does not include the person you say hi to when you're getting a biscuit at the store, all right? This is talking about those people that are in deeply embedded in your life. They are friends of yours that are very, very close, that speak into your life, that you take advice from, and you uh, listen to them and how you are to order your life. It's very important that we understand, right, as we talked about last week. And by the way, we'll get into it a little bit next week as well. But it is okay to have the wrong friends, but you better have the wrong friends for the right reasons. And I'm not talking, when I talk about friends in that sense, I'm not talking about inner circle friends, right? We've got to be very selective with who we put in these places. But it's okay to have the wrong friends, for the, but you better have them for the right reasons. And the other thing that we said is, if you're going to have the wrong friends for the right reasons, you better have the right friends closer. This is that inner circle that we're talking about. So who is it that gets to speak into your life? They better be following Jesus. And does your tightest knit friend group, does it push you toward Jesus? If it doesn't, then we need to give serious thought to who we are allowing in those positions in our life. This week, we are talking about the next circle, which is the circle of the church. Now, again, these are not mutually exclusive. I hope that you have your, some of your closest friends in your family. I hope that you, some of your closest friends attend this church. These are not mutually exclusive, but they are, in fact, things that we need to consider as we move forward. God has called us into Christian community as the body of Christ, and specifically a local body of believers. What I hear a lot of times is I'm a member of the universal church. Well, that's fine and dandy, but the universal church doesn't know if you showed up Sunday or not, right? Like the universal church doesn't have accountability in your life like a local body of believers. And so we don't have a context in the New Testament scripture of a single person thriving in their relationship with the Lord outside of the context of involvement in a local church family. And so what does this circle look like for your life and for my life? Um, we're going to discuss the circle of the church. We live certainly in a different context today than they did in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, while they were certainly, there were certainly close friendships forged through those who were leaders in the church that met in separate gatherings, the vast majority of close relationship connections among believers happened in the context of a local faith family. I would argue that from the pulpit to the pew, if you do not possess deep, meaningful friendships within the church, then you are missing God's design 
for your life. If you are not building meaningful relationships as a part of your involvement in a local church body, you are missing God's design for your life. This circle is important for us for many different reasons, right? But because true fellowship, true community, koinonia, we talked about yesterday, last week. We will talk about it again today. True community, if it can only be experienced through a shared relationship with Christ, it stands to reason that the greatest opportunity of fellowship for the believer is within the context of the local church. And so I ask you, do you have these connections here at North? Just because you attend North does not mean that you are a part of community at North. And some of you may have been going, I've been attending for a long time. Maybe you even go all the way back to the gym, right? But I've never built this here. I would advise you in a couple of different areas. The first thing I would advise you to do is to look in your own friend group of people that may be disinterested or disconnected to church. And I would invite you to intentionally invite them to church. If your friends don't exist here, then go out and get them. Then go and bring them to church and then grow together in this family of faith. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to plug in and serve in this church plug in in the area of the home groups. Now, y'all don't know this, but I have never in my life served on staff at a church that did home groups. Never. You might have thought, oh, the reason why they're doing this is because Alan's done this his whole life or because he thought it was awesome or whatever. I've never been a part of a church that does that. Man, Lindsay Lane, they had a place to put people. Listen, here, quite frankly, we ain't got a place to put you. Even with a new building coming in, we ain't gonna have a place to put the entire church, right? And so, and so the space has dictated that, but I'm just here to tell you if you are involved in home groups, I can't believe that you don't feel this as well. There is something about coming into someone's home. Now, yeah, there's some awkwardness you might have to work through, but there is nothing, there is nothing like going, coming, invited, being invited into someone's home, eating a meal that somebody has prepared and breaking open God's word in the context of a home, right? There is, it's almost like that's what they did in the Bible. Oh, wait. It is, right? New Testament, that's what they did. They went house to house. And so I'm going to tell you, I've bought in hook, line, and sinker to this idea. If you are saying, I don't have any meaningful connection here, then I would say get involved in a home group where you can build that connection with somebody. You can build those connections that will drive you closer to Jesus. The other thing I would invite you, if you haven't done it, is to serve, Get active doing what God has called us to do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about work days. Yeah, that's a great way. A bunch of whoever was there that day got to interact, got there yesterday, got to interact and have fun and work alongside each other, find out more things about each other. Like that was huge. But when we do things in the community, right, that we're always doing concession stands and community fests and uh, food trucks and fireworks and Find ways to serve alongside people, and that will draw you together as well. Dude, there's nobody you get closer to, I feel like, than when you go on mission trips with people, right? You find out, you find the real person on a mission trip 
right? And uh, get involved in, in those things. The last piece of advice I'll tell you is this. If you would look around and say, I have done all of those things. I have invested. I have served. I have gotten involved in home groups. I've brought in friends. And I just can't find community here. Here's what I would tell you. Find somewhere that you can. Find me and I will help try to get you in a place where you can find this community because it is vital for who you are. And I care enough as a pastor, I care enough about your spiritual well-being, not just to make sure that you're helping us run like a well-oiled machine, but that only happens when you are where you need to be. And North may not be it. And if that's the case, praise God, find where God is calling you. I am not being tongue-in-cheek about that. I would love to help you find that community because God has called us in that context to be in these circles of believers. What we see in the New Testament church is they, they had certain markers, certain things that were clear about the New Testament circles of church. The New Testament church had, number one, partnerships that led to provision. Partnerships that led to provisions. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, a church, by the way, that he planted. And this is what it says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I want you to know that God deal, dealt with the heart of your pastor this week through that verse. I thank God in my remembrance of you. Can I just tell you, I'm not just thankful that God has called me to be the pastor of Lindsay Lane North. I am thankful that myself and my family have brought, God has brought us to this church. I'm thankful for every connection that I have built, every friendship folks we leave our kids with, right? Like, I am thankful that God has called us not to be pastors so I can show you how to do life as, as a believer, but how I can be a part of life as a believer with my church. I'm thankful for that. In the spirit of thanksgiving, man, do we feel that way about the place that God has planted us? I am thankful for you guys. I am thankful for those connections. I am thankful for my home group. I am thankful that. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Do you hear the repetition there, right? He is trying to tell them, it's always on my mind. It is always something I do. I am thinking about you constantly. You are making my prayer filled with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I am thankful for you. Bill Lawrence 
seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary said, happiness is based on happenings, right? There are things that we are happy about that are going to go down this week, right? Like significant feasting around a table, right? Like grabbing a turkey leg and enjoying, right? The hash brown casserole, all the pies and all the cobblers and all the things that we, we can be thankful about because there is, that, there is something going down this week, right? Thanksgiving is happening, and that's exciting, and that can bring about happiness. But what he says is happiness is based on happenings, based on surroundings, based on circumstances. But joy comes from relationship. Why was Paul's joy full? It was full because he was remembering the connection and the relationship he had with the church. It's interesting that Paul's writing this letter in this way because literally he is pinning it in a prison cell. He's in prison as he writes these words to the church, not based on happenings, but on relationship. What's intriguing about the book of Philippians is that it's the only book, the only letter of all of Paul's letters that he writes, it's the only letter that does not deal with a single issue in the church. There is not a single disciplinary action that he must take as pastor and overseer in the church of Philippi. What he is bringing them is a message of encouragement and thanksgiving. He's thankful for their investment in his life. And what, how, why was he thankful? What was going on? The first thing was they, they were partners. They were partners together in the ministry. What does that mean? Like every time, if you're any kind of business leader and you've ever had somebody talk about being a partner with you, you know what that means. That means financial buy-in first, right? That means that there was a financial buy-in. And what we know about the church of Philippi, even though they were experiencing great persecution and great tribulation and extreme poverty, God used them to meet financial needs in Paul's ministry time and time and time again. The church of Philippi understood that generosity does not come in a tax bracket. It comes from the heart. And they didn't have a lot, but they gave and they gave abundantly because God had laid it upon their heart because they were partners together. Despite extreme poverty and persecution, the Philippian church served as, the primary, as a primary source of financial support for Paul and his ministry. In fact, one of the main reasons why he wrote the book of Philippians was to thank them for sending money through Epaphroditus, one of his friends from Philippi, and he was thanking them for the gift that they had given, even in prison. Well, what's the guy need money for in prison? Well, it didn't matter. Right? They were partners together, but it wasn't just financial. It wasn't just a financial partnership. It wasn't financial support alone. It was spiritual support. Verse 7 tells us that they were partakers with me of grace. They were partners. The word that is used there is the word koinonia that we've talked about. It's true Christian fellowship that knows no bounds, that is constantly sacrificing for one another for the betterment of the entire body, right? It's true Christian community. They were partakers with the grace. This church had not only affected Paul's purse strings, but they had affected his heart strings as well. What does he say there? I hold you in my heart. 
not just in my bank account, but in my heart. And I don't think Paul's just using pastor speak here. I think he is legitimately thanking God for the not just physical support, but the spiritual support of the brothers. But notice how Paul's ministry needs were provided for, right? But also the Philippians needed things as well. Their needs were provided for. What does he say? He who began a good work will complete it. How did God begin a good work in Philippi? How did he do it? He called Paul to Philippi. Philippian jailer, Lydia, that's what, was ha- what happened at Philippi. God called a man and God used a man to minister to the, the Philippians there in Philippi. God used a man to begin a good work. But Paul didn't just leave with best wishes. He said, no, he who started a good work will complete it. It will be seen through to completion because God is a completing God, right? There is not just needs. Paul met a need for the Philippians in bringing the church to them, and then God began to use them to invest in Paul's ministry to bring the gospel to others. They were partners together, sharing the load and sharing the burden. Despite their own frailty, they were sharing the gospel of Jesus as partners together. And so, got an illustration here, and I will tell you this has been, oh, you gonna come up now? Okay, you can come up now. That's okay. It's a little early, but that's all right. She's cute. You can stand up here with me, baby girl. All right. What do we know about eggs? These were $9 at the dollar store. This ain't even like the high dollar eggs. This is crazy. This is expensive illustration. They're fragile, right? In fact, some of your boxes will say fragile, and then if they're really fragile, what do they say? Fragile as eggs. Marcus would say his boxes say they're fragile because they are eggs, right? But they're fragile. They're known for their frailty. (laughs) Y'all ain't even paying attention to what I'm saying. (laughs) These things are weak on their own, but it's amazing when you put them in partnership with others, just like with the church, it's amazing how strong they can be. We ready? Watch your feet. Move them to the middle. There you go. John know eggs could do that. Now they say that that's many eggs could hold 130 pounds. I tell you that's a lie because my my. A seven-year-old would disagree. He broke a few of them. That's why Jeremiah had to bring me a couple this morning. But it's amazing what we can do when we're partnered together. Thank you, baby. Love you. Y'all give her a hand. (laughs) All right. Even something known for its frailty when it's together can become remarkably strong. This is why God has called us to these communities, to fellowship with other people. You know what he tells the church at Galatia? Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. 
and fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. You see, the church in Philippi, they had a partnership that led to provision. All parties were provided for because they were where they needed to be, but they also had relationships that led to righteousness. Philippians 1 verse 8 For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Relationships that lead led to righteousness. Paul prays for a specific type of love. You guessed it, agape love for to abound in the church. Agape love being a love, you guessed it, that can only come from God. That a self-sacrificing, others exalting love that serves, that seeks the benefit of others above the benefit of self. I want my, your love to abound more and more for each other, for the church of Philippi to be known as a place of love and self-sacrifice. He would actually double down on this idea in Philippians 2. And he would tell them, I want the same mind to be in you which is in Christ Jesus, who though being in the form of God did not Think equality with God, something to be grasped, but came in the form of a servant in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, Christ has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue should confess, those in the earth, those above the earth and then under the earth, and that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you who is in Christ Jesus. May love abound to such an extent that you are sacrificing for one another, that you are allowing your life to go through a certain amount of suffering, to see people reach, to see community thrive, to see needs met. But this love, however, is in the framework of, of knowledge and discernment. What does he say there? Right? He says, so that you, uh, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And you may be going right there, Alan. That's why, that's the disconnect for me. I don't have the knowledge of scripture that everybody has. I don't have the discernment of things of God like everybody has. Let me tell you, if you are thinking those things, number one, I would tell you, you're not alone in your flesh. I would argue that I have the exact same thoughts. I am ill-equipped to do what I am doing, but it ain't about me, church. Well, what I would also tell you is that perspective is incredibly selfish. Number one, because you're relying on your power, not on God's power. And number two, you are going ahead and writing off the fact that God has not called you to the betterment of anybody else. Because you're not where you need to be with God, you sure as goodness can't invest in someone else to get them where they need to be. 
And so in our selfishness, we just say, nah, can't do it. Don't have the knowledge. Don't have the discernment. Hadn't been to the schooling you have. I can't do it. And by doing that, we have shown just how selfish we really are. You're never going to feel like you've arrived. Ever. And the enemy will ensure that you stay in that paralysis in your own little isolation of limitation and never be effective for the kingdom of God. Knowledge and discernment comes through an intentional choice to grow together in discipleship. Instead of just being weak on your own, how about you refuse to be alone? How about you refuse to be weak in those areas? How about you find accountability for what God has called you to? How about you become discipled? I had a conversation with our staff a couple weeks ago. And the statement was made that I think people just want to know more of where we're headed as a church. They want to know more details about that. They need to know the vision of where we're headed. And while I agree with that statement, I agree with the person that made it and the heart that he made it in, I want you to understand something. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see the earth moved out here and to see the changes made because I know what's coming. I'm excited about this building. Y'all, I'm excited about having a dadgum office that ain't 20 miles away. That sounds great. But may our vision for a church never be bound by brick and mortar. Can I be real honest with you? I don't have a lot of the details of the building, so I don't even have it to really share with you. But I do not consider this the main part of the vision of our church. If the vision of our church revolves around a building, then shame on the church. We have become very inwardly focused instead of externally driven. We become more excited about our ability to gather a crowd than to send a crowd. Our building is necessity. We need it. We need more space for children in preschool. I am not downplaying that in any way. I will be super excited when that structure comes up, when that pad is, that slab is laid. I will be cheering the way. But y'all, that's not vision. That's extension of a brand, not a kingdom. I shared it in August, where we're headed as a church. I said, we've got men's and women's group and we are launching, that we are launching and we're doing Experiencing God together. And let me tell y'all, if y'all are part of that series, that, that junk will kick your tail. We're going to do Experiencing God's to God together. My wife is leading one group. I'm leading the other. And we're going to 
figure out how we can hear God, how we can be sensitive to his spirit and his direction in our life. We're going to learn how we can experience him. And then we're going to be put to work by God in investing in the lives of others. We're going to begin disciple groups. Remember we talking about this? So we're going to have two or three others that we're going to ask to be a part of, of accountability with us. And we're going to walk together through this. I made this vision. I casted this vision. And I know that that doesn't, is not as appealing as brick and mortar, but it is not. That is not what God has called us to. Discipleship, evangelism, this is the work of the church, not construction. We can build a lot of things, y'all. We can build buildings, we can build programs, we can build groups, we can build uh, ministries, but we are powerless to build people. Only God can move in hearts. And that must always be the driving force of everything that we are going after. Everything. So how are we getting involved? I had a partnership that led to provision. They had relationships that led to righteousness. What's the end goal? The end goal is to be pure and blameless, verse 10, for the day of Christ. Like my old t-ball coach. Practice makes perfect, right? We've all been there and we've said it. If you've coached anybody at all, you've said it. Practice makes perfect. Well, we know there ain't a person this side of heaven that's ever been perfect in the sport of baseball. But I can tell you my sons are a lot further along than they were day one. That's the point. That is sanctification. Growing together in this workshop of grace that God has called us to in a faith family, to meaningful, meaningfully connect with others and to grow together in Christ. The vision is your pastor for the near days of our church, while it includes necessary space for ministry, is that we will become very intentional in the area of discipleship and accountability, and we will grow. It's not enough just to say, I don't know like all the stuff you know. It's not enough. Just like no high school football coach is gonna look at a middle schooler and say, nah, you're not far enough along in the weight program for us to use you. Just give it up. We don't want any part of you. No, we start where we're at and we grow from there. Quit using that as a crutch. God has called us to righteousness and we don't get that until we pursue it in the context of relationship. Thirdly and finally, the church had community that led to calling. Look at Acts 13. I was inspired by this passage, actually, while I was taking our home group through it. Acts chapter 13 tells us the story of the church of Antioch. First, primarily Gentile believing church in existence. It had always been a Jewish thing, and now it's a Gentile thing. Listen to what it says in verse 1. I had community that led to calling. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's talk about those five men for just a second. The first of whom was Barnabas. He was the de facto pastor of the church of Antioch. He had discipled and worked with them for over a year in partnership with a man named Saul. Well, who was Saul? Saul was a man that had significant religious problems with what Barnabas was doing very early on in his life. In fact, Paul, Saul, was enemy number one for the church. If there was anybody that opposed what Barnabas was doing at one time, it was Paul. But God had changed Paul's heart, changed his life. And so Paul was a part of the eldership of the church at Antioch. So God bridged religious barriers. Then there's Simeon, who was a Jewish black man. The word Niger literally means in Latin, dark complected. So more than likely, he was a black man. What is God doing? He is bridging the gap of ethnicity here. He's bridged the gap of religion. He's bridged the gap of ethnicity. Lucius of Cyrene was a foreigner from the continent of Africa. He was a Gentile. These other men were Jews. He was a Gentile from another country. God bridged the gap of geography. And now this man was leading and prominent in the church. But there may not be a more divisive man in the church than this guy named Manan. The guy named Manan, the verbiage that is used says that he was raised with Herod the Tetrarch. He was raised with him. They were childhood friends. They go way back. Who was Herod the Tetrarch? He was the governor, the de facto ruler, the king of that region. He was the polit political power of Rome in that area. And so this man would have come from affluence, unlike the rest of these guys. He would have come from influence, but God saved his life. Listen, don't talk about politics in the church of Antioch because you literally have one of the besties of Herod on staff. But God even bridged that political divide. Man, if any church in the world that needed to be divided, that should have been divided, that could have been divided, Antioch was that church. But they united. They were together. They were different in every area except one. And that one area brought them together in a powerful way that made a difference in the world. But it wasn't just for Antioch. I field questions all the time in Athens. Man, God's really doing something in the north. Man, God's doing something in Elkmont. And I'm like, yep, he sure is, man. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But it's not just for Antioch. It's not just for Elkmont. Our church can't just be about this community, this small, narrow community. God has called us to make a difference globally for his gospel. We can't have this mentality that this is just an Elkmont church because we are missing what God has called us to. What did he do? He took very different, very separate men and he said, I want you to set apart Saul and Barnabas 
for the ministry that I've called them to. And because this church was willing to send out their leaders, not to hold on to them, not to hog them off for themselves and make it an Antioch thing, the rest of the Mediterranean, Macedonia, Asia Minor, Greece, Rome, and even as far as possibly Spain heard the gospel because these men were sent out. Are we a community that's known for our gathering or known for our sending? I've wrestled with that question. Are we going? Are we maturing? Are we leaning on each other to bring us to the point where this community drives us to calling, drives us to wherever it is that God would lead us to go? I believe that's God's plan. I believe that's what it means to be called to the circle of the church. And if you don't have that, I pray that you would find it. Whether it's here or elsewhere, I pray that you would find it. God has called us into meaningful community, to partnerships that produce provision, right? To communities, community that produces calling, and to relationships that produce righteousness. That's who God has called us to be. And then He turns us loose on the world which we'll talk about next week. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today, man, you don't have that fellowship. It may very well be that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Man, you can come to this church all you want. But until you've experienced, as Will said, until you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you can be in the same place with a lot of people and be nowhere near each other spiritually. Sitting right next to the person, not on the same universe spiritually. So maybe you need to respond. Maybe you need to repent of your sin and maybe you need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. I would invite you to do that today. Just to make the decision and the choice that you're going to follow Christ with your life. You're going to be different, called out from the rest of the world into a special community to a body of believers that will hold you accountable that will help you grow in your relationship with Him. That's what we want to do. Why we exist as a church. So if you're here and you need that community, you need to respond in salvation, I pray that you would do that in just a moment when I say amen, that you would come find me here at the front. I'll get you connected with somebody who can share with you the gospel of Christ. Maybe you're here and maybe you, maybe you need to surrender and give up and finally become a part of what God is doing here in official capacity. Maybe you need to become a member. Maybe this looks like a phone call as soon as you get out of here to a pastor at another church telling them that you are coming and that you're going to be a part of their fellowship 
There is nothing that would bring me more joy as a pastor, honest to goodness, to find you a place where God could use you powerfully for his kingdom. Whatever it is, I just pray that you would respond. In this moment, we are about to give an opportunity for you to respond. Maybe you need to come find a place at this altar, pray. Man, just be thankful for what God has given you in a church home. Whatever it is that God would lead you to do, I pray that you would respond today as you see fit as the Holy Spirit draws. Father, we love you and we are so thankful for your interaction in our life. You are forever with us, forever comforting us, forever walking beside us. And God, I pray that you would help us today. Lord, to do whatever it is that we need to do to follow you more closely. I pray for the one in this room that may be called to ministry. Maybe they know and recognize that they are called to ministry Maybe they need to surrender to that call. God, whatever response you would call us to, I just pray that we do it. I pray that we do it. We'd be sensitive to your spirit and Lord, that we would respond to it in our lives. Lord, we thank you for how you draw us and how you love us. May your love abound more and more. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? Would you come as the spirit leads? Would you come?